Welcome to episode 47 of the Chewing Your Bit podcast, and we've got another big guest today as we bring you former Western Bulldogs coach, Brendan McCartney. He coached 66 games for the club and has been a successful assistant coach at various other teams, including Geelong and Melbourne. We really enjoyed this one. He's got a great story and has a great philosophy on the game, so we hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Before we get into another episode of the podcast, we'd like to remind you that this one is proudly sponsored by Kremlin. You can use the code BENM10, all in caps, for 10% off on all your clothing needs, so make sure you get onto that. Brendan, welcome to the Chill In Your Boot podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Riley. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Take us back to your childhood. You obviously a love for footy you would have, and where did it grow and develop from? Gee whiz, you're testing my memory on a Sunday morning. It's a long time ago, mate. Uh, I was born and bred in a little place called Nyah, which is spelled uh, N-Y-A-H, and it's uh, an, an indigenous uh, name for bend in the river. So it's a little township uh, on a big bend in the river between Swan Hill and Mildura or Robinvale, which is probably a bigger, a bigger town known to more people. Uh, my dad... Ran a butcher shop with his brother, Uncle Billy. So the family uh, ran the butcher shop for a long time, uh, I think 50 or 60 years effectively in the district and had their own livestock and their own farm. So it was, it was a bit of a production line and then supermarkets came into vogue uh, and wholesale meats and people bought freezers and so the, the day-to-day butcher didn't have as much work. So uh, Dad packed us up and and moved us to Geelong in the early 70s. Uh, so there was a bit of a, a rude shock, a cultural shock. I didn't really enjoy it too much. I wrote about it in the in the Adif. Uh, I do a little uh, article every Saturday morning for, for their paper, and uh, it was pretty lonely as a kid coming to a, what we thought was was like New York City, Geelong, compared yeah. to growing up. So it took a while to make new friends and, and settle into a new town, but uh, we got there. But it was a good childhood, and... We, uh, we live right near the, the footy ground, the wreck it was called. Uh, my dad played and coached you know, heavily up there. Uncles all played. Uh, five of them actually played a game together in the seniors for Naya before they became Naya United, which is quite incredible, really. And one of my earliest memories is dad and Uncle Billy winning a premiership for Naya. They hadn't won one for 50 years and they managed to do it with Billy coaching. So dad was the, the vice captain. That was probably my oldest memory, but it certainly started a love of the game and an appreciation for community footy and club footy and, and what, what clubs are all about. And did you play any other sports growing up? Cricket, a uh, little ass, you know, I was, was prodigious little ass. I spent a lot of time running and representing, you know, the region and, and that sort of thing and liked my cricket, uh, but footy was always you know, the sport you played for. Um, you couldn't wait for it was March back then when practice match started. You, you couldn't wait. But I was a slow developer. I was only quite small as a youngster and it wasn't really until I was 15 or 16 that I grew physically and started to play at a better level, good level. And you mentioned your father, Graham. He played one game for Richmond in 1957. How much of an influence was he on your footy? He was, Ben. He, uh, when I think back now, he actually really understood the game. He, uh, he would often, I'd watch footy with him and he would, mumble under his breath about you know, why someone would go over to a contest area when they didn't need to, or he would see the ball starting to leave and he would say, look, that's where they should be now. So he, he didn't really have a, a built model or method like a lot of coaches have now and something that I've developed over time 
from a time in the game, but he, he sort of understood it. And he also had what a lot of uh, experienced footy people have. They can look at a player and quite quickly um, not make an assumption or not put a line through them, but quickly get a, a, a really good mental summary of their strengths and their weaknesses, what, they, what they're good at and what, what they might be able to do. So I guess, you know, you're just around your parents and you hear them talk about football. And uh, when we moved down here, he always made an effort to take us to Geelong games. You know, it was um, something that we'd always dreamed about because we just didn't get to see AFL footy when we were little kids up in the bush. You saw it for half an hour on a Saturday night. But he did have a really good understanding of the game. And he also had a, a really good understanding of what a footy club should be. Um, no ego, uh, lots of you know, humble people that work together and strong sense of team and club. And he was a really successful president at Bell Park Footy Club, premiership president, and he always believed in giving back. And I think that's what growing up in the country does for you in a lot of ways. It, you, it just breeds uh, a want to give back to the community and participate in things. And you yourself, you played for Newton and Chilliwell FC. In the GFL, you had a bit of a premature retirement due to your career being plagued by injury, but how do you reflect on your playing days? Uh, I wish I'd kept playing for longer. I had uh, bad, a lot of trouble with osteitis pubis, which they didn't know what it was then, which pretty easily fixed now. They just teach you how to switch your glutes on. But back then, uh, they did other things, extreme measures, you know, surgery, and uh, they would sew mesh into your groins and things like that, almost like Rio that they put in concrete just to stabilise, but it didn't work. It actually destabilize your glutes on the other side and your hamstrings even more so I think when I think back then the groins were responsible for a lot of soft tissue injuries and, and a lot of continual soreness but uh, I wish I'd played a little bit longer um, I wish I'd probably invested more into my football as a 17 and 18 year old I probably waited till I was about 19 20 to to really get serious about training and devoting my time to it so yeah they're probably it but you know, we, it was a strong club. It was it was a really strong competition in Geelong. We were a powerful club. The club consistently played in finals and won premierships. And I, I think a lot of my coaching ideology stemmed from there too. That there was a, a lot of senior players were a lot older than me and had played at the top level, either VFA or it was then VFL. Uh, Geelong West were a really powerful club back back in the day in the VFA, which is the new VFL. If that makes sense to the listeners out there. Uh, so they, they bought with them a wealth of knowledge and we had a, a really strong coach called Kevin Higgins who played about 150 or 60 AFL, VFL games back then at Fitzroy and Geelong and he was really hard on us. He coached us hard, trained us hard, uh, bought a, a real level of, um, I wouldn't say brutality, but he, he was serious. You know, he, he played for keeps and coached, coached for keeps and, and I think... Probably first, when I think back to some of my coaching, a lot of it has come from Higo, you know. And before that, we had a guy called Huey Strawn, who also played at the Cats. as a famous Tasmanian full forward. He was different. You you would die for Huey. It was a different relationship. He just was always there for you. And when we were young people, he used to look after us and make sure we had a bit of part-time work and a lift to the footy and, and those sort of things. So between those two men, I think a lot of what I stand for now as a coach, as well as... Um, I had two fantastic junior coaches in my time back then. One was John Smith, who looked after us as teenagers. Um, he was always there for us. And before that, it was a great man called Laurie Henry, uh, who, you know, he was just a, a fantastic 
older gentleman who didn't need to coach us. None of his sons, they'd all gone through. They weren't playing Little League anymore. But he just gave so much. So I think those four guys really um, shaped me heavily towards coaching at a, at a younger age than most people take it on. And you moved on to become the head coach of Ocean Grove Football Club and won a lot of premierships throughout the 90s early in your coaching career. Did this spark your love for coaching and, I suppose, help you find a desire to move up the ranks? Not so much that, Ben. It was probably when I was appointed there, the, the main driver was to, to just do a good job for the club and, uh, and build the club in the community. So really early on, by chance, one Saturday morning, I, I drove past a heap of youngsters playing footy and it was then the biggest big kick in Australia. They had about 400 kids, which is now Auskick, uh, running around on Shell Road Oval, which wasn't the club's ground. It was just on the way out of the town. So we formed a really strong alliance there and the club hadn't done that. So I said to the president of the committee, this is crazy, we should be um, heavily involved in this program so that all these youngsters just grow up and want to play for the club. And and there's your players and coaches right there. You know, there's, there's mums and dads coaching there that will be great club people. And there's youngsters, you know, girls weren't playing back then, but it was all these young people uh, and wanting to play and represent the town. So I think that, uh, building the community side of the club was first and foremost and building a, an environment based on hard work and respect for one another because that hadn't been the case down there. They, they weren't really respected in the town as a, as a sporting entity. So that was, that was the main driver and the success followed. Uh, and the, the entry point into AFL footy came quite quickly. Um, I, I wasn't ready for it. It happened in the space of about two weeks. We, we won some premierships and... I probably thought it was time to maybe coach at a higher level, country level. So I was going to go and coach St. Joey's Footy Club in the GFL. And uh, Richmond rang and offered me an interview. And I, uh, one of the interviewers yawned in the interview. He asked me a question, yawned and looked out the window. So I wasn't feeling that confident about getting the job on the way home. And I reflect, but they, they gave me the job and they wanted a young coach that uh, would work with their younger players. Jeff Geesham was a senior coach and he was really passionate about developing young players to come up underneath the established players. And that was first and foremost why I was appointed and there was a match day role with the reserves, which were the AFL had their own reserves back then. So Richmond often reserves were playing at Punt Road on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday lunchtime and then the main game would be at the MCG over the road. So it was an interesting time. It was... Um, it was fast track learning. Everything went really fast. I was working with Ross Lyon, who was who was way ahead of me as a coach at the time uh, in regard to AFL knowledge and AFL experience. So he, he fast tracked me pretty quickly as well. And you alluded to that coaching role at the Tigers. Were you nervous to go into such, I suppose, a high role that quickly? Oh, yeah. The first session I took uh, was like a little skill-based session on a Friday afternoon and um, I don't think I made any sense. I stood in front of the group and there were all these, it was my first week, there were all these guys you see running around on telly and uh, I had no idea what I was saying. I think I, I think my first rule was lame kicking, but I explained it for about 18 minutes before I got the words out. And uh, Wayne Campbell was fantastic. He walked past and said, I've already set the drill up. It's all right. Let's just get going. And um, he, was, he was fantastic. Wayne back then, he, he understood because I'd coached his brother at Ocean Grove. So, there was already a nice connection there, uh, but they were they were they were a hard marking player group. The senior players were hard markers, uh, but 
Geesh threw me in full bore early, head first, which was the, the best thing he could have could have really done. And um, my main role was to develop the youngsters and, and build good relationships with them. And uh, But along the way, you know, there was a match day role and, um, yeah, my coaching grew really, really quickly. You know, not as quickly as it grew when I got to Geelong. That was another, you know, that was another level again, but it, it certainly elevated my thinking. And you mentioned your time at Geelong from 2000 to 2010 as an assistant coach. Obviously a pretty successful decade. What was it like to be play such an integral role in this? Satisfying. Uh, I, as I said, I, I write a little article in the advertiser every week and I touched on that recently, just that satisfying moment around, you know, it took nine years to actually deliver what people call the ultimate success in terms of AFL footy being a premiership, but the building blocks were, <clears throat> were so much fun. You know, we went to uh, two big drafts, 1999 and 2001, and uh, Bonner and Wellesley and Gary Davidson plotted that. They made sure that we had, and Cookie was heavily involved, Brian was heavily involved in that, two real good cracks at, at what Stephen believed were drafts that could shape the footy club for a long time, and History shows that they did the first, the 1999 draft delivered Cam Mooney, Corey Enright, Cameron Lynn, Paul Chapman, and Joel Corey, who just became phenomenal players for a long period of time. And 2001, we did some heavy trading to <clears throat> move some people around and to get pick eight, 17, 23, 24, and 40. And, and that was uh, Jimmy Bartell, James Kelly, Steve Johnson, and Gary. Um, so. Josh Hunt was in between them, Andrew Mackie and Tommy Lonigan followed the year after. And then at a later date, it was Sal and, uh, and Tom Hawkins and Trevi Barco. But before that, Dave Wojcicki was already there, Darren Milburn, <coughs> Stephen, <coughs> excuse me, boys, Stephen King, uh, Scarlo and Tommy had just started there. Their careers had hardly played. So the club was really bold and brave. Uh, Cooking and Bomber were on the same page. They wanted to be a draft and develop club. They wanted to build their own. Uh, successful era. They they carefully appointed people that would share that vision. And uh, Geelong were, I wrote about this yesterday, very much a values-based organisation built on people with good character and work ethic. And Cookie, uh, he, he he made that very clear to everyone when they, when they came to the club. That's what the club valued and that's what they were about. And, and while it took nine years, it was a really significant build. But you know, them for when you think back through your own working life and when you get to my age, only 60, you do that a little bit. The, the people who influence you, Bomber's influence was just profound on all of us. You know, he, when I talked about what my dad saw in the game, his ability to, to see the game and teach the game with no teaching background was, was uh, extraordinary. He, he could break the game down in a simple form, a simple model to young players so that their decision-making was, was made much, much clearer. And then over a three, four, five-year period, as their bodies and minds grew and developed and they felt more comfortable out there, they, they didn't even have to think. They just, you know, and, and the feedback we'd get from other clubs was that oh, Geelong always get lucky. You know, the ball bounces and one of them are there. It was never luck. It was a model built on outnumbering, um, good method and decision-making around the ball, whether you, know, you knew whether to go over to the contest or stay away or go to the next, the next contest area or when your sense of the ball is going to be lost and, and straight away transition to defence and the, the best players and the best teams do it. And, you know, we built this decision-making model back 20 years ago, which a lot of people still use, you know, a 
A for attack, D for defence, and blocked into one, two, three areas on either side, A1, A2, 3, uh, D1, 2, and 3. And a lot of people, I hear a lot of people talk about it and they show me this model and I, I sort of smile and um, I go, what are you smiling at? And I say, well, maybe we had something to do with that 20 years ago. But uh, but that's what effectively what the game is and, and, and his ability to add uh, how to teach people their position was was the next really important thing. So he, he built his assistant coaches around really simple methods and he allowed us to coach players in our own way. Uh, he didn't mind if you were strong, he didn't mind if you were gentle, he didn't mind if it was a combination of both. What was central to him was that we invested and we got to know the players. So a lot of the buzzwords you hear about relationships and connection and um everyone being on the same page now, you know, it's incessant out of AFL clubs when they're playing well. That's the first thing that comes out. We, we were doing it a long time ago. And and, and I, th- I think all great coaches do it. They, they get on the same page as their players. They get to know them, coach them hard, coach them fairly. And, and that's what he allowed us to do. And, you know, out of that generation, due to Cookie and Frank's vision and patience and unwaveringness really to, see it through some some fantastic players and coaches emerged in a in a brilliant era that we still still goes today you know the third or fourth on the ladder they're, they're still right in it long answer mate sorry about that it's all right and in 2010 you were voted assistant coach of the year it must have been satisfying to receive this recognition and did you know by this point you had the capacity to move into a senior afl coaching role uh i started to think about it riley uh, to be honest i went to port adelaide and sat through the interview process there. Uh, it was a really tough interview, um, solid, uh, because they were, they were keen on, um, it was a bit of a transition period for them. Uh, Mark Williams had been there for a long time, incredibly successful. Uh, and they, they weren't playing their best footy, uh, so they were hell-bent on a certain thing. Uh, and the feedback I got was pretty positive, that, that Presentation was good. That the genuine, genuine, genuineness was there. There's enough knowledge, uh, and they eventually decided that Matty Primus would have the job. Uh, and then there was a, a move to help have me helping, which I didn't really want to do um, for a number of reasons, family, career-wise. I was, you know, I um, stayed at Geelong for one more year, but that probably got me thinking a little bit, and that probably preempted the move to Essendon. Um, to take on a role that probably had a bit more seniority to it. And and it, I was actually thinking about it yesterday, this, that probably what I've always really enjoyed doing is building. So going to clubs that are that, that need to build, that you know, are either starting from a low base or have been successful and they're trying to get back up the hill again. Uh, it's something I've always really enjoyed. Um, don't know why. And, and Essendon sort of fitted that model. They finished 2010 as, as probably the worst performing team in the competition. Um, David Evans had a bit of a vision about what they would become. And, and to be honest, if they hadn't have probably gone awry with the supplement stuff and, you know, and none of us will ever know what really happened, they were, they were on the right path to becoming a, a really good footy team and footy club. But I think at one stage, 2013, they were on top at about round 18. So they were... They were trending really well. So that, that probably started having me think about. And you were finally rewarded as senior coach of the Bulldogs at the end of the 2011 season. Take us through the process of getting this role and the emotions of being named as senior coach of an AFL club. 
Uh, the first, it started with a phone call and then a meeting with the football manager and Chris Grant. And that was um, more of them just to have a look at me and ask some questions and, and me ask some questions of them. And then there was another chat with uh, Chris and Simon Garlic, the CEO at the time. And then there was a, a formal interview and I, I felt I went with a really simple presentation, just five or six slides about uh, what, what, what I thought footy was about. Uh, the relationship element of the game, uh, the development phase of, of where the club was at. You know, they had been success, really successful playing in prelims, but 90% of that team had moved on. 85 to 90% of it was gone. And it was a, a really compromised time. That was when the Giants and the Gold Coast Suns had just come into the competition. So early picks were almost impossible to find. So um, it was going to be pretty challenging. From, from that point of view. So there was an awareness there. The interview went quite well, I thought. When I came out, I, I rang a good mate, Mark Opie, who I can confide a lot in and share a lot of my thoughts and opinions with. And I said that I felt that I, it went pretty well. And, um, and I was lucky enough to get the job. And probably hit me more the first day at the press conference um, when I walked in and saw all these cameras and. I've been to plenty of press conferences, but not at the front of the front of the table, the front of the room. So, that, and probably not getting home till nine o'clock that night was a little stark reminder of just how incessant and, and demanding the job would be. Does a particular game or win stand out as a highlight from your time at the Dogs? Oh, there were probably seven or eight where we we beat teams that you know you probably mightn't be expected to beat. And we beat them with young teams and we beat them with a, and probably beat them with a brand of footy that we couldn't play all the time because uh, various reasons. And a lot of it was immaturity and lack of physical strength and experience, but the bones were there you know, of what we were building and teaching. So there were seven or eight games where I think back, gee whiz, we, we, we really um, we're, we're making good progress here. And probably if I, if you ask, push me a bit further, there's probably two that, that, we lost both games, but there was a game against Sydney when they were really strong. It was about 2013, and we had them on toast, and they just kicked too late. And, and we were really young that day. We had a young team, but you could just see how competitive they were becoming and, and how ferocious they were and, compet- and tough. And the, 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 the flair and the... And the goal scoring and the, the offensive side of the game was just starting to build slowly, but the, the bones of the game were super. And a game down here at Geelong where we got the first four goals kicked against us and lost by five or six points and, and really should have won the game. But uh, it was a wet, cold afternoon and not many teams ever come down to Geelong and win in those situations and, and really did with another young team. So they were probably the two that told me that we... Our capability when we had maturity and the group all caught up to each other was, was going to be pretty good. And you're one of the few AFL coaches who didn't play AFL themselves. Was this something that you read into at all? No, not really. No, I, I never felt... I probably only ever heard it once from a player, a couple of players in my first couple of weeks at Geelong. And I heard it secondhand that, you know, what, what's, what's he going to teach us? He's never played AFL footy and from what I can recollect Bomber put them in their place straight away that um, he would bring coaches to the club that would develop players and teach players and um, and he was always and, and I've always been on the same page is that 
coaching is not miraculous moves game day. It's not moving a player from the midfield forward. It's now and then that you can alter how a game's played. But coaching is about developing people and players that are team-based, that that align themselves to the team, that, that really get their teeth into building their ability to play their position inside the team or positions, if it's more than one. And they, they build a life skill of willingness and preparedness to work hard to to do things for other people and, and, and drive an organisation forward. So um, he, he put them in their box pretty quickly. And after that, you know, in the end, though, that AFL football is, is, is two things that stamp AFL coaching apart from a lot of other occupations. It's just the ferocious competitiveness of the industry. Yeah, you, you're often in roles that other people want. Sometimes internally they want your role and, and often externally people want want to be in AFL footy and want to be coaching and, and they're doing everything they can to get you out and them in. Um, so it's how you let that impact on you. you, you it becomes a, a motivating, positive driver or it can drive you to distraction. So I, I was always the, the first first of the two. And the incredible work ethic. So um, those two things uh, suited me. You know, I'm competitive by nature and I've never been afraid of hard work and, um, and always had a, a pretty strong ability to relate to people and connect with people. And you know, it doesn't mean I haven't had my Barneys over the years and disagreements with people, but um, yeah, and, and that, that's really the only time. And, and I just backed myself, you know, I backed, backed my work ethic and preparation and, and base understanding and uh, history shown that, you know, I've been really fortunate to work with some fabulous coaches and players, you know, that have taught me so much. And you spent three seasons at the Bulldogs and left the club at the end of 2014. Can you take us through this process and how it came about? Because I understand it all changed pretty quickly. It did. Uh, yeah, I, when I think back, Riley, I, I don't think I did my best coaching in the last six or eight weeks that year. I was, I could, I could smell the improvement. It was so close. Uh, I think we won seven or eight games that year. Uh, lost a lot of games against good teams by small margins. And... For me, that was a guide that we were getting much closer, but there was a, an overriding frustration that we couldn't win the games we should. There were there were a couple of things at play behind the scenes in the club uh, that probably, in reflection, we as a club could have sorted out at that time um, and done it uh, much, much, uh, much, much more quickly and concisely. Put some things on the table, and we were undergoing a period of as a club where we were making list decisions for the future and you wear those as a senior coach. And I probably moved away from, you know, I've always been around character and team and selflessness before talent, uh, always. And I, I probably found myself at selection and list management decisions, uh, letting talent override the other human attributes. And, and in reflection, uh, I, I could have done that better. Uh, I got a little bit abrasive and, uh, um, yeah, yeah, abrasive and probably too pushy to get things done in a hurry. And sometimes that does happen because you, you want something so much for other people and the club. You know, it was never about what was going to be best for me or what, what I needed to do. It was what, what's best for the club. And, but we were, we were so close. And, uh, you know, and Luke was appointed and did a fabulous job to, to deliver a premiership with a, with a group that was, you know, been built pretty well over five or six years. It wasn't an overnight thing, you know. We were we were building that from 
back in you know, early, two, late 2011. You know, so they generally take five or six years and that, that might have been a year or two early, but um, a lot of good work got done. And you mentioned that premiership two years later. Was there an element of jealousy at this or were you more proud of the club and the players and the role that you'd played in the development of that team? That one, yeah, definitely proud of uh, what the club had done. Uh, a lot of the players, you know, the, some of the football they played through that final series, they may never, ever play it again. It was just a, an incredible four weeks, which shows what, what can be done if people align themselves to the team and are prepared to commit their bodies and run and and just give everything to a game. And it can build just credible belief and confidence and, and the draw work well you know they got good rest periods early in the finals and uh yeah it was so it was oh, i was very happy for the club you know and uh, you know and if you sit around um you can't pass bitterness on to people you know, they're not interested in it so it was there was no point you know you, you just get on with what you're doing and you know, I, was, I was already at a new club by then and happily working there and confident we were building something something pretty positive there but it was a it was a fantastic thing for the game, a fantastic thing for the Western Suburbs people in Melbourne. They'd been downtrodden for so long and probably thought they were they were never going to get there. It was a it was a really special day in footy history. And then you became an assistant at Melbourne under one of the most respected coaches in the game in Paul Ruse. How did your experience at the D's differ from your former clubs? Uh, it was different because every club is different, Riley. Um, the role was to support Simon as much as anything because there was going to be a transition from Maruzi after after two more years. So, you know, he wasn't my boss because we were great mates. Uh, it was more I would sort of work around, work around the edges. I'd work, yeah, I guess I'd work, let Maruzi coach and, and Goody, uh, but more make sure development was up and running, uh, ensure that we were probably getting our training right, that we were all the little things that go into making a player, which I'd experienced and seen for a long time, almost 20 years, were, were taking place. And Melbourne haven't got the fruits of their labour yet, but they will. You know, I'm really confident in the next 12 to 18 months they'll, they'll mature into a fantastic football team. Uh, they're, they're very close now, despite what, what people are writing and saying. And they've had a couple of rough games, uh, but they're, they're very close to becoming quite a formidable team. Couple of little things to iron out, which which they're working on, because I still talk to Simon a fair bit. So that that was more the role, uh, and match day was being down on the boundary line with them to keep them in the moment and, and find out what they were seeing and, and feeling, and and actually coach them on the run because uh, you could you could actually spend thirty seconds with a senior player and realign their thinking, and it's it's really important. You you may see. People out there see coaches sitting on the boundary line with players and it, it's invaluable at times just to realign them back to the game and what's happening, uh, put them in a more positive uh, mental state at times uh, or rev them up at times too. Sometimes you know, it's to get them going and, and wake them up a little bit and then correspond with the other coaches upstairs in the coaching box about what's, what's actually happening. And it's a unique position to be in. You can actually really smell the energy levels early, sense what's happening and where your group's at when you're down on the boundary line. You can hear it, see it, feel it. You can see it in their eyes when they come on and off the ground too. It's, uh, it's really important. But it was a, a good five years there. I, I, I love the players and the, and the supporters and uh, the, probably the real pride 
was when we won those two finals in 2018, just the sheer joy of the MCC side of the, it's a memory that I'll keep forever. It was, it was fantastic. And post your coaching career, you've started a new business. Can you give us an insight into what that's all about? It's a, it's called Player Coach. Ben, um, Susie Robinson and myself uh, had an idea around how we could potentially help youngsters learn the game through a simple model, a simple way of coaching, a simple way of doing it. We see so many junior coaches and clubs just doing straight line drills, handball drills, uh, kids standing around on cones, listless, not engaged, uh, not being challenged, not having to make decisions. So our methods are all around learning the game through playing the game. So simple little drills that uh, coaches can have and just move and shape and mould half a dozen ways. So it might be a little 5v2 where there's five attackers and two defenders and you just move people around, use different parts of the ground, put some goals in, add another attacker, take your attacker out, add another defender, make it more competitive in regards to almost one-on-one, then take defenders out. So it's one drill can be done 10 different ways over 50 minutes, you know, and, and really teach the game and teaching the same methods, you know, how do I win the ball? What, what craft do I need to win the ball? How do I, where do I go if my teammates are going to win the ball? If the ball stays in dispute, where do I go? If the other team gets the ball, what do I do? And now I'm yet to see someone learn all those things when they're standing on a cone and, and running to another cone to kick it to a teammate or handball it. All they're learning, the decision's made for them. So, and help coaches teach that, understand it and bring it to life with the youngsters and, and help clubs and junior football in general. And then it's grown into some other areas where we're going to be working at Western Heights next year in sports specialist program, which is a, a secondary school that I went to, my old high school in Geelong. Uh, and they they want to build this school up. So youngsters will be able to go to the school and be coached by myself and other really experienced football people, um, girls and boys. Susie and myself will, will look after that and bring coaches in to help us. Uh, we're running holiday programs. We're running after-school programs. We, we ventured into Bendigo and Colac for last school holidays. Our aim is to, is to go to Warrnambool, go to Hamilton, your area, go to Ballarat, uh, build the alliance at Bendigo, Colac, the western suburbs, and, and have one- and two-day um, clinics where the kids are engaged and they're playing footy. They're doing footy drills from nine in the morning till, till one in the afternoon and they come back the next day. So we link that to AFL footage, AFL coaching methods, AFL crafts. So it's, it's growing and at, the, at present, our next venture is around um, building a scouting mechanism for country players, junior players to potentially um, register their intent to be players at a higher level and clubs can go looking for them and there's footage there for them to see and we potentially link that to coaching programs so that there might be a, a young young girl or boy in Hamilton or Mount Gambia or, or Hopeton or somewhere down there and, and they want to they want to get into a pathway or they want to play VFL footy or they hope to get drafted that we can actually put them in our courses and, and add those little finishing touches and, and maybe look at the development gaps that potentially are in their game that um, that are best seen by people that are really experienced and have been in footy be a long time so uh, it's 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 growing steadily it's just it's a simple business simple model um, we're finding kids and coaches coming back to us they like what we're doing and 
we don't want to take over football well. We just want to be a vehicle for people to, to grow and develop and learn. Play and, along, and along with this, you do some work with mental health organisation, tackle your feelings. We had Guy Walker on last episode who you would have coached at Melbourne and he also does a bit of work there. Can you take us into your role with tackle your feelings? Yeah, it's a, a, a program that's up and running uh, through the AFL Coaches Association. Nick Walsh, who was drafted to Melbourne from Ireland a long time ago and was a long-term assistant at, at GWS, at the Giants. Uh, he heads up the program, uh, guys in it. Uh, there's about seven or eight of us. Anthony Egerson is, is coaching in it. Uh, he's presenting in it. And effectively, until the virus hit, what we would, we would have been doing was going out to local clubs and... As an ambassador, you, you talk about your own experiences, the ups and downs of life, the ups and downs of, of coaching and your time in AFL footy because while there's many lasting, brilliant memories, there's also some really challenging testing times in that as well that, that really force you to dig deep to deal with your own mental health and your own mental well-being and, and, and stay nice and strong and resilient. Some people find that easier than others. Uh, for some, it's a, it's a real difficult, really difficult process. So, uh, And that is strapped to psychological support at the forum where um, and it's about recognizing managing and supporting really um, you know understanding recognizing managing um, the signs of mental health and it's got a football flavor it's linked to the game you know um, kicking goals by tackling your feelings it's a really simple model um, and it was it was ready to take off in the country areas too but uh, it, it'll come back but it, it's something I'm really enjoying helping um, clubs help help their players because it's a, it's a massive part of the world and a massive part of local sport. Well, Brandon, that's all we've got for you. We really thank you for your time and appreciate it. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Riley. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the 47th edition of the podcast. We appreciate Macca's time. He had a great chat to him and it was fantastic to hear his story in the AFL industry. Stay tuned for some more big guests to come in the future.